It's good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. If you hear a few voices of celebration back there, Marissa got the official text. Rutherford County Schools will not be in session tomorrow. And take another day off. Anyway, I was uh, debating on what lesson to do tonight. Uh, of course, I missed last week because I was sick. So that was two lessons there that I had at least started on. Uh, one of them I had completely finished. Uh, but anyway, um, I was debating on which one I should do. Should I do my Sunday morning lesson? Should I do my Sunday evening lesson? And of course, tonight was supposed to be singing night. But since it is Sunday evening, I did decide to do my Sunday evening lesson. So we're going to the One Word series. And um, if you read for last week, then you're well prepared. But our lesson for tonight is on the word covenant. This is the 36th lesson that we've had in this series. Um, and it's been very interesting. We've had some, some easy words and we had some difficult words in there too. Uh, this was not one of the ones that I would say was the easiest. Uh, but uh, this is a good word for us to study tonight. The word covenant. What is a covenant? How do we define it? Uh, where did it come from? All those may, may come up in question. It comes from the Latin term convenir. Uh, I don't speak Latin, so it may not be a correct pronunciation. But it means to come together. The Hebrew word is berit. B-E-R-I-T, meaning to make a covenant, or literally, to cut a covenant. In Genesis chapter 15, for example, Abraham was instructed to cut in half a heifer, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon, to cut a covenant. In the night as he sleeps, a smoking pot and flaming torch passed between the pieces, signifying the covenant made between God and Abraham. Well, God, by passing between the pieces, is signifying the same should be done to him should he fail to keep his end of the covenant. Of course, we know that God does keep his end of the covenant. He keeps his promises always. Abraham was sleeping while all of this happened. But we have that, that significance of the meaning of cut a covenant or to make a covenant. And I also think of, of, in terms of, I don't know hearing this recently, but uh, there used to be, and some of you may be more familiar with it than I do. I've, I've just seen this on television, but in the schoolyard when someone would make a promise, sometimes they would would uh, cut their finger or something and, and mingle the blood as a, as a sig significance of that promise. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a, aside from the point. The Greek, uh, also uh, the word that is used in Greek, diatheke, D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E, meaning covenant or testament. The word testament comes into play. Uh, both words are used somewhat interchangeably. But a testament becomes active following the death of the testator, such as a will. Uh, a last will and testament is given uh, whenever the person who made the will dies. Now as long as, as they are alive, they can continue to alter that will. I remember hearing the story of, of a gentleman and he had a lot of trouble hearing. 
And so he, he got these hearing aids. And so about a week or so later, he went back to his doctor, and the doctor asked him how well they were working for him, and he said, oh, great. Well, what does your family think? How, how are they taking that you can, can hear them? I haven't told them yet. And I've changed my will three times since then. And, uh, but anyway, the, a will is able to be changed as long as the one that is making the will is still alive. And once he passes away, or she, once they pass away, then that will can be put into play, if you will. And, uh, and whatever is divided among uh, the family members as an inheritance can be, be done so. The New Testament became active, or the New Covenant, if you will, becomes active following the death of Jesus. And so we see that New Covenant that is put into motion. Our lesson objectives, that's just a, a little introduction to the word covenant but our lesson objectives for tonight are, first of all, to learn the differences between the Old Covenant and the New. And secondly, to determine which of the covenants we are under and purpose to serve God accordingly. One of the things that you will realize as we go throughout the different uh, instances of covenants and, and different covenants that were made is that when it comes to us keeping a covenant with God. There are things in the old covenant that we can no longer continue to do. That we can no longer participate in because that's no longer the will of God. We're under a different covenant. And we need to properly divide the word in that way. So we need to determine which of these covenants that we are under. And make sure that we are following that covenant accordingly. We begin by looking at some examples of covenants in the Old Testament. And if you will, pull out the Bible. I'd love for you to follow along with us. Uh, we're going to read some lengthy passages and it'll be a little easier tonight to do that. Genesis chapter 6 is where we're going to begin. God's covenant with Noah. Genesis chapter 6 and we're going to begin with verse 5. Then the Lord, Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Uh, the King James puts it that the Lord repented that he had made man. But verse 8, but, a very important but there, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We pick up with verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Of course, we know that God gave the specifications for the building of the ark. We know that Noah did as God had instructed him. And after the flood, 
We turn over to Genesis chapter 8 and begin reading at verse 20. Genesis 8 and verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night, shall not cease. And then we jump to chapter 9. And we begin reading at verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generation. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. We see that the first covenant was made with Noah that the earth would never be destroyed as it had been with a flood. Now some of us in recent days might have been thinking otherwise. But God promised that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. And this did not rule out the possibility of local floods. And we see that. We've seen that recently. We've seen where a, a certain area or maybe even a state or, or several states are affected by a flood but it's not over the whole earth and it does not destroy everything because God promised not to destroy the world with a flood. This also did not eliminate the possibility that the world might one day be destroyed. It just wouldn't be by a global flood. We know that the promise is made that one day the things that we see around us will perish. One day the, the earth will be burned up and everything that is in it. But the world will not be destroyed by a flood again. Not in the way that God had destroyed it in the days of Noah. And God's covenant with Noah continues with us today. And when we look out and when we see a rainbow, we're reminded of that first covenant that was made between God and man. And it's a reminder to us that God does keep his promises. We mentioned Genesis 15 in our introduction, but let's look at that as another example here of God's, uh, another of God's covenants with man. This time his covenant was with Abraham. 
And beginning in Genesis 15 and verse 12, he said, or it reads, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and a great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass. When the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusite. God's covenant with Abraham followed a sacrifice similar to God's covenant with Noah. The promise. Though Abraham's descendants would suffer affliction. And they did. We read of the bondage of Israel and Egypt. We read of their 400 or so years of suffering. But despite their suffering... Despite their afflictions, they would one day be brought back to the land of Canaan to possess the land of heathen nations. Notice the words, too, that are found in verse 18. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, I have given. That's looking forward to something a very, very, very long time into the future. God says, I have given this land. That was a, a, another sign there of the promise that was made to the people. It was going to come to pass because we know that God is faithful to his promises. There are other covenants, and for the sake of time we won't go through each of them, but there is a covenant that was made with Israel following their exodus from Egypt, as we read in Exodus chapters 19 through 24, with the symbol of the Ten Commandments given to Israel as a reminder of this covenant. A covenant was made with David that his descendants would continue to reign upon the throne of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verses 5 through 16. That covenant was continued throughout even the divided kingdom as David's descendants continued to reign in Judah. And though David's physical earthly kingdom did come to an end, the reign of Christ, also a descendant in David's lineage, and of Christ's church would be forever. We're reminded of what Jesus said to Peter and to the other apostles in Matthew 16, beginning with verse 15. 
He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The rock of Peter's faith. The rock of his confession. Uh, everything that was behind that. The faith that was behind his belief that Jesus is the Son of the living God. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Death, the grave, those things do not stand before the church. Now later, a covenant was made with man through the shedding of the blood of Christ. We'll read of that in a moment. And a symbol, a reminder of this covenant may be found in our partaking of the Lord's Supper, as we'll do in a moment. But all covenants have a few things in common. First of all, the shedding of blood. That was something that we find in in the covenants that are mentioned here in the Old Testament. A, a sacrifice to God in their beginning. We also see something given to the people from God as a reminder of the covenant that was made. We think of, of the rainbow and the Ten Commandments that we mentioned earlier. We see that often there were signs that followed these covenants. A, a fulfillment of the promises of these covenants is also common in the Old Testament. Uh, even if we look into the New Testament, sometimes we find that fulfillment there. But we do find fulfillment in the things that were promised in Scripture. Each is significant to us today because we continue to receive the benefits of these covenants, at least to some degree, as God's spiritual Israel. Now let's fast forward a little bit. Let's look at the New Covenant. Jeremiah looked forward to a New Covenant that would one day be established with God's people. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31 and let's begin reading in verse 31 of this New Covenant that was to be. Jeremiah 31 verse 31 Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. The covenant, the new covenant, was established through the blood of Christ. This is the covenant that we are under today. Turn for a moment to Luke 22. 
Luke 22, and let's begin reading in verse 14. We see in the institution of this new covenant, we see it in the institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus mentions this covenant. Luke 22, beginning with verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26 adds, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. How often do we partake of the Lord's Supper? We do so every first day of the week. Because in Acts 20 and verse 7 we're told that the disciples were gathering to break bread. They were gathering to partake of the Lord's Supper. And so we do that every first day of the week. And how long do we do this? How long do we partake of the Lord's Supper every week? We do so till He comes. That's important. And that's why we take the Lord's Supper as we do. Christ, through His death and through His blood, became the mediator of this new covenant. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 11. Hebrews chapter 9, and beginning with verse 11. This one is a little longer, um, but it is important to our study. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hand. That is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Mention is made of, uh, of the cleansing of the conscience. That's a reference also to 1 Peter chapter 3 where it speaks of baptism as not the removal of the filth of the flesh but as the cleansing of the conscience. And those who are called may receive the promise of eternal redemption. In other words, those who obey the gospel, those who become Christians, those who are covered by 
the blood of Christ. They may be brought into this covenant with God. And they may obtain eternal, the promise of the eternal inheritance. Verse 16, for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and according to the law almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. This covenant, the new covenant, could only be established through Christ's death on the cross. And it wasn't until after his death that this covenant was set into motion. The thief on the cross was not under the new covenant because Jesus had not yet died. A lot of people will refer to the thief and, and think, well, we can be saved without baptism. And who's to say that the thief was saved without baptism? Who's to say that he wasn't baptized in the baptism of repentance, in John's baptism? We don't know that to be the case. But even so, the thief was not under the new covenant because the new covenant had not been set into motion. Christ had not yet died. And so the thief, therefore, cannot be used as an example of the means of salvation that we are under today. But we continue reading in Hebrews 9 with verse 23. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to have, have suffered. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Christ, being the perfect sacrifice, offered himself once on behalf of all mankind. Now again, we enter into this covenant with God by coming in contact with the blood of Christ through obedience to the gospel and baptism for the remission of sins. Acts 2.38 It is not until we are obedient to the gospel, until we have heard and we believe and by faith we we repent, we, we change our minds, we change our hearts, we change our lives. The direction that we are, are going in, we change it all. 
We confess before others our faith in Christ that He is the Son of God. And we are baptized for the remission of our sins. That's when we come in contact with the blood of Christ. And it's not until we are fully obedient that we come in contact with that blood. Now Christ offered Himself for all, but only those willing to submit themselves to God in obedience to the gospel may have their sins remitted through the blood of Christ. Now finally, it is promised that Christ will return to receive His faithful to Himself. In Luke 21, and beginning with verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul used these words as encouragement to the brethren. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. There is no reason to fear for those who have already passed on because they too will all be gathered together to meet Christ in the air. Verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Jesus will come. And of that day and hour we do not know. Not even He Himself knows. But only the Father. We are told of His return so that we can be prepared. So that we can use the opportunity that we have been given to obey the gospel if necessary. For those that, that have not obeyed the gospel, it is something that you need to do. It is very important that you be fully obedient. And not just to be obedient. We know that, that following obedience to the plan of salvation, following baptism for the remission of sins, we also must live a faithful life. Now maybe it is that you've not obeyed the gospel. Maybe it is that you've not lived faithfully. Maybe it is that you need to rededicate your life to Him. Repurpose yourself for His, His work, for His will. We offer an invitation. And we do so for very good reason. We want all those who are outside of Christ, who are in need of responding, to respond. We want to help you. We love you. And we care for you.
We want you to be found faithful in judgment. So if it is your need tonight to respond to the Lord's invitation, whatever your need may be, whether it be obedience or whether it be to come in repentance, ask for forgiveness for something that you've done if you need to ask for prayer on your behalf. If there is some way that we can help you to make yourself right with God, let us do that. As together we stand, as we sing.